0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to comic book writer and incredibly energetic individual John Lees about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA at www.getmycomics.com/comicscene. On a side note Comic Scene have launched a Kickstarter for a major new project called The History of Comics 1930-2030 each prestige format book covers one year of comic book history the first four books cover 1984 1977 1950 and 1986 with about four days left of the campaign it is fully funded but if you'd like to get a slice of history yourself be sure to check it out by either searching for comic scene as one word on kickstarter or by simply clicking the link in the show notes now without further ado on with the show Hello John Lees, how's it going?
1: Hi, I'm um, happy to be here, um, it's going good.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, um, it's a real pleasure to have you on, because um, funnily enough, just uh, a couple of days ago, I was uh, I was speaking to uh, Tyler James, who was singing your praises, um, so it's a real pleasure to have you on.
1: Well, I'm just relieved to know that all the blackmail material I have on him is paying off at last.
0: <laughs> Finally, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, uh, as I said, John, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, but for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, what do you do in the world of comics?
1: Um, well, I am a comic book writer. I am best known probably for a comic called Sink, which is a kind of gritty, hard-boiled horror crime anthology series which is set in a kind of nightmarish mirror vision version of Glasgow. Um, every story has is connected by the shared location of Sink Hill, um, which is this kind of terrifying place filled with monsters and deviants and criminals and all the regular people that have to kind of live alongside them. And that's probably my best known book. That and a horror comic I did with Ian Laurie called um, And Then Emily Was Gone which came out in 2014. Um, other books I've done include um, The Standard, which is my debut book, which is a kind of superhero series about a formerly retired superhero who has to kind of come back to investigate the death of his former sidekick. That was done with Jonathan Rector. Uh, I did a series for Comics Tribe called Oxymoron, The Loveless Nightmare, which is a kind of serial killer crime story, which was done with Alex Cormac, who was also the artist of Sync. And I did a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe story um, for IDW with Nick Patara. And most recently, my kind of current projects are a book called Mountainhead with IDW, which is a kind of snowbound psychological thriller with Ryan Lee. And the series called Hotel, which is a horror anthology set in an old motel off Route 66. And that is done with each, And that is for the fledgling company, AWA Studios, which is being released now
0: fantastic um well um it's it's been quite a career for you but uh, where where can people find you online
1: um you can find me on twitter at twitter.com forward slash john lees 927 or my main online hub right now would be my patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash john lees every week i post free essays for anyone to read about a matter, all manner of topics ranging from comics process to like film stuff and also every week i share um for subscribers um behind the scenes um page by page breakdowns of comics like sync and depender my comedy comic um, with kind of behind the scenes notes and process talk and i share all kinds of other stuff on there like short stories and um peeks at my script archives all kind of stuff that you might want to see from a comics creator i also have a newsletter um which goes out every week um to my subscribers and you can access that through deepender.johnleescomics.com that's deep hyphen com You sign up to that and you'll get a bunch of free comics including um, a couple of issues of Depender and a comic called Quilt that I did with an Emily Was Gone artist, Ian Laurie. And then you, again every week you get a whole bunch of ramblings from me sent straight to your inbox.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic, uh, well, all of those links are in the show notes, so uh folks can go uh click on those and and check it all out whilst we 're speaking uh, now, all of that aside, unfortunately, I do have some bad news for Why you not? John, and that is that actually whilst kind of we 've all been distracted by the coronavirus pandemic um there's actually been an artificially intelligent robot that's been planning a takeover. Um, through this, guys. Um, so my first question for you is, what is your action plan for survival in the artificially intelligent robot takeover apocalypse? Well, I
1: feel that we're instantly at a disadvantage because I've learned this information over the computer. So I'm, <laughs> I'm already doomed. But um, <laughs> I kind of feel that um, I'm lucky because I live in Scotland and we tend to get like the latest trends late. Um, so, probably like, you know, like any technology that might be advanced enough to have this might arrive here somewhere like 2030s or something. Um, but um, with any apocalypse, for me, I feel the solution would be to kind of go somewhere quiet off the grid. And fortunately, Scotland has a few of those because like, I'm a bit of a swimming enthusiast and I kind of do some like wild swimming. Um, so, I kind of know wow. some remote off the grid places that, like, you know, that are island off an island that I could kind of go yeah, and maybe yeah. like lay low for a while. But I do know, I kind of, like, deep in my heart that, like, I'm not one of the people who's, like, the hero of society. I'm one of these people that dies quite quickly in these situations. Like, I'm not, like, a born fighter or survivor. So I think, for me, like, my greatest hope would be, you know, whenever you play, like, these, like, post-apocalyptic video games and you have, like, wee Easter eggs, like, you know, where you go off, like, the beaten track and like, the sandbox and find some weird community of oddballs that's going to be put in as an Easter egg by the developers? That would probably be me, like, you know, like, where, um, like, you'd, like, go far enough off the grid and you'd find like, you know, some, you know, like little community and I'd, and I'd probably bring all like my wee Halloween decorations with me and I kind of set them all up to make a wee kind of nice wee kind of off the beaten track space or like I could maybe do like a yoga retreat or something like that, you know <laughs> um, and I feel like that yoga that should be something that be really useful as a kind of plan for survival, not necessarily for survival but like coming to peace with the fact that I'm going to be dead soon um, so I feel like that would be really good for relieving stress and kind of just get me in a better place mentally for when that comes
0: fantastic well in your uh halloween-esque yoga <laughs> uh, retreat, um, you uh, you on have a, a small few... scottish <laughs> island yeah on a small scottish island off an I- another island oh, yeah. of course yeah <laughs> well your uh, your fellow community buddies um start asking each other what you did uh, in your past lives and uh, the the conversation of comics Comes up when when they ask you, and uh, the first question that they they ask you is, "What's the first comic you remember enjoying?"
1: Um, well, that's kind of like a weird kind of question in certain ways because I think everybody has like their comic where they say like. Mm-hmm this is the comic that made me love comics but that's never like usually like the first first comic you kind of like dribble into mm-hmm. comics by degrees like i remember being like a really young kid um, maybe like 4 five years old reading like i'm not sure if you'll remember this they came out bi-weekly it was called sonic the comic it was like the kind of comic spin-off right, yeah. of sonic the hedgehog and they used to be available to news agents it was like very kid oriented and i bought that for, i think i had like 100 issues of that at some point stacked up it was i was a dedicated wow. devoted reader to sonic the comic and then through sonic the comic if you remember like they eventually did a little spin-off called judge dread magazine which was like a very like pg like um kid friendly version of judge dread like you know where judge dread would like capture the bad guys they put them in prison and go like very naughty like you're on know, like you know the actual <laughs> um quality. but from there like from like judge dread magazine as a kid it be, again they would be like five six years old i transitioned into 2000 ad um to read more of the further adventures of judge dread and i was like this is a lot more violent mum um <laughs> and um and then, like, obviously, like, there's, like, any UK kid has probably read their fair share of, like, the Beano and the Dandy, which was, like, a weekly institution that would kind of be, you know, in the local, like, you know, newsagent tuck shop. But, you know, when you went in to get, like, your wee snacks and your lunch break, you'd grab a Beano as well. Um, I maybe mean, one of the last generations that can probably say that, like, a Beano for 50 pence or something, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Then obviously they had all the kids superhero comics and UK news agents like you no know, like I remember they had like a Batman one it was based off Batman animated series then from there they did a whole bunch of like you know guest appearances by various other DC characters which was like you know people's first introduction to the world of DC and then when the Spider Man animated series came out again um I got that as well it was a kind of like Spider Man cartoon tied in comic but I think one of my earliest memories of a proper you know like not a proper comic but like an official like you know widely distributed, you know, canon American comic book comic book would be probably Nightfall, uh, which was the 1990s Batman event comic where um, Bane uh, breaks Batman's back, spoiler alert, um, and puts him out (laughs) of commission. Um, And this was a great comic for a young fan to pick up because um, you get it, and it has, like, obviously the the premise of um, Nightfall is that Bane opens up Arkham Asylum and Batman has to go through like a gauntlet of all of his villains to um finally get to Bane. So it was great because it's like a little kind of like stepping stone from like the cartoons. I saw like all of the characters um who were in the cartoons and I liked plus was introduced to some new characters that I hadn't seen before um, that I you know, that was seen for the first time in Nightfall. So it was kinda of very much a kind of like, an entry point into like the comics world if you will. And like and there's Although, like, probably looking back at Nightfall now, it would probably be very dated and very 90s. Like, there's certain things about it that I still really fondly remember. Like, uh, like Scarecrow and the Joker teaming up. Then when Scarecrow tries to turn the Joker and he, like, he fires fear toxin in his face and the Joker just laughs it off because it doesn't work in him. And I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, so, yeah, that's a comic I have really fond memories of, not just for the story, but even the artwork. Like, um, the covers were by... I want to say Kelly Jones, I, I'm sure it was Kelly Jones, and like, they weren't anything like the interior art, they were these really kind of surreal, kind of baroque paintings with like, Batman with like, these ears which were like, not just like bat ears, but like massive spikes, which like, you know, were twice the size yeah. of his torso, launched into the sky and then like, Bane was so muscly like his head was like, halfway down his chest pretty much, and his shoulders like, heaving <laughs> in multiple layers above him um, and like, it was like, just something that really kind of like embedded my consciousness is like you know comics are awesome and i want to keep on reading these forever
0: that's awesome man and and how old were you when you when you read that sorry
1: um i don't know it's quite hazy i'd say when i first encountered nightfall i must have been because it was around the time when um the animated series was kind of somewhat Mm. fresh and maybe around batman forever era era so maybe it would have been about 1995 so i would have been maybe like eight seven eight nine years old somewhere around that period
0: Cool. And so, at that point, were you were you trying to create your own comics at all?
1: Roughly, yes. Actually, um, yeah. like cool. I'd say, maybe I was a little bit older for I properly started. But I actually, found this mm. like treasure trove. No, actually, I would have been around that age, about eight nine, because I was primary five. But I found this treasure trove recently of like all these old comics that I made um, myself, mm. um, where I kind of just like threw them, threw them in A four sheets of paper, then stapled them together. Um, mm. And I can't even remember the name. I think it was, like, Cyber... No, it was Blade. That was the guy's name. Blade, but not the Vampire Hunter Blade. It was, like, a cyborg yeah. who had, like, Blade. You
0: haven't come across Blade yet. You just made it up.
1: Um And, like, <laughs> right. and literally, a man. even as a kid, I wrote, like, two issues of this comic, Blade... Um and then I did a reboot and started issue one again because I wanted to give him a different origin.
0: Um, <laughs> you had your first reboot, amazing on April yeah. Paper. So, so the
1: first version of Blade's origin was like um this kind of like criminal was um in some factory, like looking through weapons, and he grabbed these two blades and like threw them out the window. And this gardener happened to be walking past outside and he like he was yawning and lifted his arms and the blades oh, like went no. into his arms. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then like um and the reboot is even more ridiculous, Origin was he was a school jan a school caretaker. Um and uh, the school bullies who hated him went to this like magic potion shop and found like various potions like um one that would turn someone into slime, one that would do this and that, and there was one which would like, you know, make someone like you know start like producing like sharp blades all over their body. Um, oh, and then so they, they slip right. this into his water and he drinks it and it becomes like blade, the spiky superhero. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fantastic man and so uh from there uh when, when did you think to actually kind of know properly get into comics
1: well there was a period obviously like i've always wanted to write in some degree like again as i was making these comics i was also writing little like prose stories and putting them in my school Mm. library like you know where me and my friends in school would like fight various monsters like dracula and satan um but um like and it's always wanted to do writing of some kind and i kind of like did a lot of like um kind of prose writing and short story writing all through school i thought i was going to do that in some way and then at one point i wanted to get into screenwriting at university i did screenwriting as a module and i wrote a kind of short screenplay at one point i was going to make a short film which kind of fell through but with screenplays like um so much of it's about like you know limiting um your work um -hmm. like you have an idea then you think how can i dial back in this idea and how can i compromise and Mm -hmm. how can i break it down into manageable component parts with like the resources i have and so comics is liberating in like um, contrast. And the funny thing was that how I started writing comics, I'd always like to some degree been reading comics. At one point, I drifted away from them a little bit um, in the like the early two thousands. But I kind of came back into them avenge- with Avengers, as I'll talk later on about. But um, the um, in terms of like writing comics, for some reason, although I'd, I'd like comics and I'd like writing, I never put the two together um, until it was actually a friend of mine um, wanted me to write a comic for them that they wanted to do because they were an artist, and um, they said, like, you know, like, you like comic, can you try writing a comic script for me? So I thought, well, I've never thought about writing a comic script. So I kind of started (laughs) doing research on how a comic's written, and kind of reading the rules and the limitations, and I became fascinated by the medium, and what I love about how um, so in some ways, its strength is its limitations. If that makes sense, yeah. so like you know, with the yeah. structure and the, the way you have to, you know, like you know, um, you have to kind of work within certain bounds. But if you can work within those bounds, like the canvas is like endless, and you can do whatever you want, pretty much. Um, and the so that I ended up falling in love with the idea. And although my friend, they had an idea for doing this really kind of gritty, psychological noir story, which fit their kind of scratchy, charcoal art style, and I totally screwed them over by writing like a big bubbly superhero comic instead. And <laughs> they looked at it and said, this is really good, but I can't draw that. Um, so the idea kind of went in a draw for a little while. This would have been about maybe 2008. Um, and then, But then, like, um, I saw maybe a few months later, I'm an editor, um, was running this series on a web forum. Um, the the series was called The Proving Grounds. The editor was Stephen Forbes. And in this, he would kind of, like, um, review people's comic scripts and then, like, give them feedback. And mostly it was just, like, Simon Cowell-style, totally screwing and saying, like, this is terrible, like, never write a comic again. And, like, I thought it was be really funny to, like, say about this and see what I'm going wrong. So I submitted my comic um, and then the editor actually said, "Oh, well, this is the first comic that I've ever had submitted to this, where after I'd finished you know, reviewing the excerpt for the column, I kept on reading to the end because I wanted to see what happened next. And they kind of contacted me separately afterwards and said, I think you could make this comic. And we eventually did. And that was the standard, my first comic, and the rest is history for there.
0: Fantastic. Um, that's that's so great to get that, that early success where you get, get encouragement from someone. Um, yeah do you think that's really important for creators?
1: Absolutely. I mean like i'm um, recently on Twitter, um Gail Simone started this thread, like, you know, what's like the worst creative advice you've ever given been given? And so much of it is just folk being told at an early stage when they were really vulnerable, you suck, yeah. um, you're never gonna be a writer, mm-hmm. give up, or never gonna be an artist or anything, give up, just do something else and it not their confidence for years. So I'm so fortunate that one when i was first writing that comic i had my friend who was really supportive and knocking that ideas back and forth but then also when i submitted it to the editor they were really supportive and they picked up issues and mistakes but also said here's how you can make it better and when I re- it proved to be a real mentor to me and um i think that nowadays if i knew going in what i know now I never would have started my career with like a six-issue superhero miniseries. My, my head would be going like, "This is so unmarketable. Like indie superheroes don't sell. Like it's going to be such a big undertaking." And I'm kind of glad that I didn't know that going in, and I just kind of muddled through and tried to make it. Because now I always have that book, you know, that I made, and you know, no one could take that away from me. If I'd never made an art comic after that, I would still have like a mm-hmm. six-issue series that was mine and had my name on it um that i'm really proud of so yeah i think it's definitely having that support network really does help a lot and it still helps now like i've got like writing groups and peer review groups you know that are so useful and i'd say essential for any writer that's kind of working
0: yeah definitely and and trying to get those um is uh is really really important i think for for people to grow as creators as well um how how did you form those groups (laughs) Well, the first
1: group I formed was called the Glasgow League of Writers, or GLOW. Um, it's actually been around for almost a decade now. It was like the 2011 um, I first formed, and it was basically mm-hmm. through a couple of forums. A, a forum I go on, like another person who is in Scotland um, called Luke, Luke Calso, He's also a writer, um, and he, like, had been messaged me casually back and forth and they said oh would it be so cool if there was like a writer's circle for comic writers and then and then separately he started talking to another writer called gordon robertson and he had the same idea so gordon robertson eventually said well why don't we just try forming our own rather than wait until somebody else makes one so that was how the first meeting of the glasgow league of writers happened which was me Luke gordon a couple of other people um uh, my friend jamie who um i developed the standard with originally um Jane Sayre, who's a writer who does a book called The Bells, and Gordon McLean, um, who did No More Heroes and Supermum. And me, kind of like that group, kind of like formed the first Glow Meeting, which was like um six people sitting in the back of Plan B books, um, summer 2011. Mm-hmm. And from there, the thing's like growing and more people have joined. And I'm like, and Gordon, he kind of stepped away i'm gordon robertson and like and i became the chairman of the group so i kind of run it now and i have for the past several years and it's been so great see not only have i put so much of my own comics through glow to get feedback but i've seen so many other creators like fledgling creators you know come in and submit their first stuff to glow and i've seen those things that have been submitted as glow scripts become comics that have been sold at conventions and like and it's just so great getting to see like you know But when I started off, like, you know, doing the standard 2011, it felt like there really wasn't much of a comic scene, especially not for writers. There were some artists who met at Hope Street, but there wasn't all that much going on. So it's been great, even in the past decade, to see this whole fledgling scene emerge in Scotland, which is, I guess, an offshoot of the scene emerging in the UK as a whole, and seeing, like, Mm -hmm. you know, small press sections expand and, um, and, again, like, having these, communities of writers that you can kind of share your stuff with so that's one group i have then i have another group that i run internationally um over skype um, which is a couple of scottish creators and a couple of american creators um and that's a kind of tighter group you know it's a bit more informal um but um like i get really good feedback from them as well and like between um that group and glow i feel like i have a kind of really good kind of like support network set up
0: that's great man uh, now, moving back to uh, the yoga retreat, yeah. and you're moving into Upward Dog, um, <laughs> and the uh, and the team ask you, uh, what's the funniest comic that you've read?
1: Um, I have a couple of options for this one, actually. Um, for me, um, what, I know it's a, re- it's a really recent example, which maybe why it jumps to my head so much, but I think currently, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, the current um, run being done by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber, is absolutely hilarious in a way like the comics like don't often get to be like normally like uh, I think comedy is especially hard to do in comics because like even when people read like you know inverted commas funny books I think the the idea is they'll read it with a straight face and they'll get to a joke and they like intellectual knowledge, hmm yes this is funny I approve of that and then like you know that's what a comedy story is for comics a lot of the time so it's rare that a comic actually makes you proper belly laugh, and Jimmy Olsen has managed it pretty frequently. Um, I'm not sure if you've read it yourself, but basically it's, like, as you imagine it's, like, um, an account of, like, Jimmy Olsen, the kind of Superman supporting character, Um mm-hmm. it makes him out to be, like, pretty much one of the coolest, kind of, like, you know, characters you can imagine. Like, you know, mm-hmm. someone who you can imagine would, Superman would want to be his pal. He's this kind of, like, you know, like, maverick tour, like, madcap, like, you know, um... Man about town. And like some of the stuff he kind of gets into is just like so like funny in the setup. So I've just a ridiculously labyrinthine. Um Storyline, which kind of, like, riffs on Silver Age stuff with, like, you know, the kind of massive, like, you know, title pages with, like, the, narration, the overwrought narration and all that kind of stuff, and again, again, like, you know, they get, like, increasingly overblown as they go on, and then just all the other, the way it factors in other supporting characters as well, like, one of my favourite aspects of it is that they just totally... Rip apart, um, Bruce Wayne and make him like such, and, and on Batman and make him like such a laughing stock, um, <laughs> and like for example, like basically like you had this bit where Jimmy Olsen talks about how like Batman has no sense of humor and Batman takes it like really personally and continues to try like and play hilarious jokes on like Jimmy Olsen, but like. In the persona you would imagine Batman to be, which is really serious and terrifying, <laughs> and like you know, and it never, it never works. So basically, like this whole bit, like you know, where Bruce Wayne manages to overhear that Alfred for years has been like paying various employees to like laugh at Bruce Wayne's jokes, um, like so he's had this idea that he's you know been funny, um, and just some of the visual guys that like you have Batman sitting with like a little white like, prop arrow on either side of his head, you know, saying "I'm hilarious," you know, <laughs> and I um, just think like, some of the stuff is just so well done. Um, um and so like that's a comic i definitely recommend if you want something that's funny but like for me my all-time example is like maybe my favorite funny comic ever would be a book called giant days um Mm. from boom um which is it's a comic the premise is pretty simple basically it's like three um friends that go to university and is it i think it's sheffield um that's terrible. i should have researched this ahead of time i'm sure it's sheffield
0: i'm pretty sure it is yeah um
1: and it's basically just, like, the hijinks to get up to. It's basically just, like, a sitcom, but in comic form, where every episode is, like, a kind of little, like, presented, like, a 20-minute TV sitcom, pretty much, you know, with, like, a set-up and a pay You have, like, long-running stories kind of going on in the background. And it's just so funny. And Max in the artist, like, is so good at putting, like, observational details in and facial expressions, where, again, it's one of those things where you can actually just look at the picture and it makes you laugh, Um And, like, even, like, the, like, the storylines are, again, so simple, but just kind of the kind of things that are just great gags, which, like, work as a 20 like page one and done story like the latest issue because i recently got volume 11 of the of the trade in the mail um and the whole story is like a christmas special and it's like the various like staff members get employed like in a santa's village and the whole thing increasingly becomes clear like it seems it's like a scam at first and actually it's like a full-blown cult where like you know um <laughs> like new employees are having to pay um like for like equipment and for like um like You know, clothing and training and stuff at a rate that's like more. Than like the fee they're being paid, and like they had this, so they have like little yeah. charts about what, like, how long they'll have to work before they start getting into positive equity. <laughs> um, and like one, and this thing, I properly like, laughed right at a minute reading it. Where basically this kind of like this, one of the girls in it who's like super like um, obsessed with like the magic of Christmas and doesn't want her Christmas spirit being broken by these revelations. Can eventually goes to Santa's grotto um, to kind of seek solace in Santa. And, you know, and she's like, you know, um, no place could be purer. You know what to do. And, so she goes to Santa's grotto and it's an animatronic Santa that's been left too near the fireplace and his face is all melted. and it's like you know (laughs) this horrific like metal face underneath (laughs) and she just starts like screaming and pulling her hair and it's like and it's like it's just so funny the way the premises build up and like it's one of these books that's so hard to kind of tell somebody about and say you need to read Giant Days it's a book about a bunch of kids at university but like I would say seriously to anybody, if you're not just a comic that's funny, but some of the best characterization, the best characters that you care about and like, um, you couldn't go better than, like, you know, Giant Days by John Allison and Max Saden. I regularly read this and, like, think, I wish I could make... A lot of folk will say, oh, I wish I could write a book that's as good as, like, Watchmen, or I wish I could write a book as good as, you know, um, From Hell or something like this. But, like, for me, the book that I have that most often with is I'll read Giant Days and say, I wish I could write a book as good as Giant Days. Um, and for all, for all the horror that I write, like, you know, I'm basically just, like, a frustrated rom-com writer who wants to, like, make people smile and be... <laughs> like giant days does to me
0: that's fantastic man um now uh changing gears um we uh move on to our next question which is what's the saddest comic that you've read
1: um again i have two answers for this one um because um I, i'm very indecisive i couldn't just choose one for no me problem the first example I give is maybe the one that I would say I read this and intellectually thought this comic has made me feel sad and melancholy more than any other comic. Cause a book called Essex County it's by Jeff Lemire, who's obviously now a well-known um, deeply prolific writer who's done like a various stuff for like Black Hammer for Dark Horse and like various image books. And he's like got Sweet Tooth being developed for Netflix. Um, yeah. But yeah, For me, his absolute masterpiece is still his early breakout comic from the mid-2000s, this book called Essex County, which is a collection of three different graphic novellas, each telling the story of a different regular person that um, lived in Essex County, um, which is this kind of small area of rural Canada. And for me, like each one is kind of sad in its own way. Like you have like this little kid with an absentee father who dreams like or they, who mate believes he's a superhero when he's quite clearly not. Or you have like the last story which is about this county nurse who kinda of goes and visits like elderly people, you know, like at the end of their life. But the really sad story for me is the second book of the three which was called ghost stories and it's basically this story about um this old man again like someone who's kind of near the end of his life he's starting to kind of go through early stage dementia and he's like you know thinking back to like his heyday in his youth when he was like this kind of celebrated local celebrity hockey star um and like and back like this was the best time of his life, but he wasn't happy. Like in that time, and he was imagining what else he could do, and he kind of like didn't realize that like the best days of his life were happening at that time. Like you know, and then he never appreciated them when he had the chance. And like and also like back when he was in his youth as a hockey star, um, he became alienated from his brother. Um, I can't. I can't remember the specifics. I think it was something to do with um, like a lot of romantic entanglement where they both loved the same woman, and like so he had a riff with his brother over it, and so he spent his whole life like refusing to talk to his brother who was trying to like you know make amends with him, but he just refused to like um to like take the olive branch and make amends with him, yeah. um and finally like right when they're near the end of their life, um like they um he finally kind of like makes amends with him and after spending his whole life being jealous of his brother, he finally talks to his brother and finds that his brother was jealous of him pretty much and like um yeah. and they kind of just start to kind of make amends again when like his brother um Dies. Um, I think he has a heart attack oh, or something, and like, yeah. and so he's like, all oh, this missed time, and I never had a chance to properly kind of, and it's just really heart rending moment. Like, you know, when like he's sitting, um, like, so I've actually opened up the book here, so I can kind of look through what happens. But, um, basically, like the guys lying there dying, his brother. And he's like, um, what are you crying for? And the me guy's like, I don't want you to go yet. And he's like, you know, I'll be okay, Lou. I'm tired, you know, I'm so tired of being without her. That's like the woman that chose a brother over him. And he's like, mm. I know I don't I just don't want to be alone again. I've spent too much of my life alone. Um, Vince, and then his brother's away. And it's just an amazing sequence, a silent sequence. It's a silent page where he's just sitting crying, holding his dead brother, and you see the sound effect of like tap. Then, like, each panel is, like, tap, tap. Then, like, tap, 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 tap. And each panel it's more and more off-panel kind of taps coming. Then you finally turn the page, and it's a double-page spread of, like, him sitting, like, you know with his dead brother and all around them are all of their old hockey team when they were all young and they're all tapping their hop- hockey sticks in the ground, like, for the two of them. And, like, right. it's just such, like, a really moving moment. Like, obviously it's in his head, oh, but, like, yeah. um, it just really kind of hits me right in the gut every time that I read it. Um, I just think it's a really kind of beautiful, poignant, sweet comic.
0: And that's such a great use of uh, of just, well, silence with, with sound effects, of course, but, like, that build-up, just, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, no, like, I've just... Jeff has always been, like, a great talent for just really kind of, like, getting at your heartstrings and really kind of hitting you in the gut. And the other comic that I was going to choose um, was um, a book by Scott McLeod called The Sculptor. And I have really specific... I think probably the reason I've chosen this one is because it's, like, really tied to a certain moment in my life where um, this was maybe, maybe, 2015, I think, and my granddad had just died. So, like, my gran, like, had just pretty much found out. So, like, everyone was kind of, like, taking turns to be at you know at our house with her and like yeah. you know make sure she was alright and wasn't alone like you know yeah. and I was there with her like you know whenever she was sleeping um I would sit and read Scott McLeod's The Sculptor and wow. um and it's just it's such like a heart-rending book um basically it's like uh, about this guy who's like an average artist, an average sculptor, and he's frustrated by the fact that like he's not he's never done any of these works like, you know, of great endurance, you know, that will last like a lifetime. And he makes this deal with death, um, that um he'll be given like the means to make um amazing, like, you know, enduring art. Um but it'll come with like a timer where it only has like a certain amount of days to um, make it all, I and mean, maybe I think it's maybe a year. I can't remember specifically. I think it's maybe a year. Um, then, like when he runs out of time, he'll be dead. He'll die. Um, and so he gets this amazing gift. And then after he set this deal, he falls in love with somebody. And then he realizes he's lost all interest in making art. And like and he realizes he doesn't want to like have like you know um, an eternal legacy. he Just wants to have like a life that he could be happy with now um so like you know he loses so he, like he's made he's pretty much sacrificed his life to be able to make art which he then doesn't want to make anymore um and he just wants to kind of like spend his time with like you know this woman that he's fallen in love with um mm. and but he knows they can't really kind of get attached to her either because like he's going to be gone soon and like it's just like such a deep milk this whole idea of like the impermanence of life and like you know how nothing lasts forever and like you know and like that these ideas paired with um like the motions I was going through, I've gone through a bereavement myself just meant like, you know, it had a very really kind of like, you know, heavy impact on me.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, wow, that's, that's real serendipity, isn't it? Like yeah. just the, that reflection of, of those situations. Um, and yeah, well, I'm sure that's going to be in your heart for well forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's like, I suppose, like you know, you can see that with all heart, but with all art. But I think, like you know, with books especially, like have a real kind of power of like you know, thinking this is what I was doing at this point in time when like I was living with this book for whatever however long I was living with it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um now, uh moving uh changing gears once again, sorry. And uh the next question that comes up is what's the scariest comic that you've read?
1: Oh I kinda feel this was like very much, you know, my um Comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, I like, have totally. literally, like, you know, written like massive like essays, like you know, listing like you know the, the 10, 20 scariest, most horrifying comics ever, and I've done like <laughs> like public, public speaking events, like you know, around Scotland, like talking about the history right. of horror comics and like how comics can scare people. Um, so I have a, a lot of like you know, um, knowledge in this area. Um, but I tried to, again, narrow it down to two. Uh,
0: you did well. You did well.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the first example I want to give. Um is a comic that I read, and I remember I have really vivid memories of reading it and having the most visceral effect of genuinely scaring me, more than any just about any comic that I'd encountered up until that point. And it was um, Saga of the Swamp Thing, issue 29. And this was from the Alan Moore, Steve Bissett, John Total, Ben run. Um, and then this this is the issue called Love and Death, um, where um Abigail Arcane, Swamp Things Love Interest, um or well, future love interest at this point, but um she starts to suspect that her husband, who had a near-death experience but emerged like fine and everything was okay, um might not actually be as okay um as he first appears. And over the course of the issue she gradually comes to realise that her husband's actually been dead all along and his body's been inhabited by um uh anton arcane who is swamp things long dead arch nemesis and also like her own uncle so it brings up these like horrific ideas of um like you know not only like necrophilia but like incest Mm -hmm. and like you know like i still remember the horrific like again page turn reveal um and like she realizes that like what's happened and like you know this person that she has been living with is her husband for the past m- m- months at this point is actually um, Anton Arcane and she's trying to escape, she's horrified and he's back in the rent a corner and he's like, you know, it's no use now, um, surrender give in, then it's the page turn reveal and you have like, you know, like the superimposed image of Anton Arcane over him and it's like, say uncle and it oh was like, um, like just really kind of like horrifying and then all the way through the comic even before the big review there's all these like little details it's, it's a comic and it's something i've always became obsessed with where sometimes the horror isn't like in the big massive splashes and the big kind of like gaudy stuff it's the little things that aren't quite right and you don't notice them in the first room. They kind of put you at at ease like you notice that at one mm. point when you see a kind of like a love scene between her and her husband and they're lying in bed together then in the very bottom corner of the page you see like a mirror reflected and you see in the, in the reflection in the mirror she's lying with this like rotten corpse with like you know flies buzzing around yeah. it yeah. and like um. And, but one particular image that I remember is um, is a scene where Abby goes to visit her husband at work um and she walks into the office and for a minute she walks into the office and she sees just all these like dead bodies uh, like and all these like you know re- re- sort of reanimated like corpses and they're all kind of like looking out at her and looking out at us directly at us because it's like an abigail pov shot as she opens the door then like you know she kind of like takes a second look and they're all just normal people but that one shot was super highly rendered by Bissette and total ben um and, like, so, like, you can see these horrific, and it's all dark and light, and you see these rendered faces, and the eyes are super white, and they're all looking right out at you. And I remember it had such a powerful effect on me, this page, where literally, I'd stopped reading for some reason, and I went to do something else. And I couldn't focus on what I was doing because that page was looking out at me and I had to turn the page back again so I didn't have that page looking at me. And I think mm. it's so hard for a comic to be scary. So when a comic can like have that effect on you, I think it shows you just how potent it is.
0: Very much so. Um, yeah, no, it, is, it, it can be very difficult, but if, you, if you're if you able to uh, craft a story that can do that, <laughs> I mean, if there's one person that can do it, it's, it's Alan Moore, isn't it? Yeah. But,
1: um, I absolutely he is a
0: wizard after all.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he could probably craft a spell. like, you know, this. And there was actually a few examples. Probably more would have been the other ones I could have brought up. But the other big one I want to bring up um, is a book called Uzumaki. It's the only manga that's getting mentioned in um, this chat today. Um, it's a manga by Junji Ito, and yeah. again, if we describe the plot, it doesn't sound like much. It's basically this small town which has been haunt- become haunted by spirals um the shape spirals um and yeah. basically like spirals start emerging everywhere like you know um like you see um, the the water swirling into spirals the flowers kind of turning into spirals and like people start seeing spirals everywhere like you know um start trying to contort themselves into spirals and um and it's just one of these ideas that starts off so simple. I mean, I'm looking at the early pages right now, and like the first page is like this like, this girl who's just intently. No, it's this girl who walks into town and she sees this man intently staring at a snail stuck to a wall, and it zooms in like on the snail's like spiraled shell. Um, but the way like things just like build and build, and it's just like. And Junji I'm not sure if you've ever read Junji Eo's stuff before, but nobody can craft a horrific image like Junji Eo. Not only are his faces horrible, like the way he does a face where you can just see the sweat beating on someone's forehead and their eyes bulging out their head. You can just notice these people look yeah. insane. But um like when he gets his really horrific, like, you know, tableaus, um, like this per like this family who opened up a laundry press and find, like you no, know, like the father who's like twisted themselves into a spiral inside the press or, like, you know, various other kind of horrific things that happen, but DuneGTO is, like, good because he became known for these big, massive, full-page spreads of these really hideously rendered, um, like tableaus and images. So the rest of his book all becomes this masterful exercise in pace and like a build up, build up, build up to you know the is coming, you have a partial reveal, you know, of something in the shadows, and you know like you're mm. gonna turn the page you're gonna see something in and you almost don't want to turn the page. Um, <laughs> but you have to see what's coming. Um, and I just think he's become such a master of that. He does like horror like nobody else in comics, and for me, one of the things I've always said about what makes horror and comics so hard is that um, it's kind of the worst of both worlds for filming TV because sorry filming books because in a book you can make something scary because like you can describe it. You can describe something that's you know, people can imagine this thing in their heads. It's gonna be yeah. far scarier in their heads than anything you can put on a screen, which is why no film adaptation of the portrait of Dorian Gray has ever worked. Because like, you <laughs> know, no portrait can be as scary as the one you have in your head. But like comics don't have that advantage. Like they have to like show it and it has to be scarier than what the person would imagine in their own head. And one of the few people who can draw something that's scarier than anything you can imagine in your own head is Junji Ito um, it's, it's like images are Definitely. just like horrifying, and I've spent like my whole career as a horror writer pretty much trying to chase Uzumaki and trying to create something that will make people feel the way that I felt when I read Uzumaki
0: that's awesome man um and yeah no, um Jinji Ito is if you if you've never seen his artwork um listeners definitely go, go check it out um because uh it'll give you nightmares basically
1: <laughs> yeah all, kind, all kinds of different stories like it was not i've said i picked uzumaki for this one but you could also pick like um a book called severed which is like, a collection of mm. short stories wrote, and some of the stories in that are just incredible and again his concepts are always so quick he never goes by the obvious tropes or like you know, the familiar stuff like vampires zombies he chooses something which seems kind of quaint and non-threatening and like obscure and makes it terrifying um but yeah like he's just such a a great creator one of my favorite comic creators um just a genius
0: totally totally uh now moving on to uh my favorite question and that is what is your favorite cover
1: this was actually one of the hardest ones to answer i had so many choices one of these things where you just have in your brain a kind of database of like all these um amazing like comic covers you've seen throughout your time like i've I've already talked about some of them already like um the nightfall covers and how that they imprinted in my brain and i think like call covers like do so much to kind of like you know so obviously they're there to sell the story inside but like you know a lot of times those covers will linger like more than the actual contents of the comic inside um, yeah. so it was hard to choose just one because like you know I associate so many covers with like you know the stories inside them and like normally like I'll choose like you know sometimes like when I fa- I'll say something's my favorite cover just because it was the cover to one of my favorite stories you know but I was trying to kind of really be intellectual about this and think like you know what's my absolute favorite cover and the, the way I tried to answer it was <clears throat> let's try and separate it completely from the contents of the book inside Mm-hmm. um and like if i could just like get any cover made as a giant like canvas and putting a frame on my wall what cover would i choose so that so i was trying to think of it in that terms and if you were to ask me this again in a week i'd probably change my mind and give you something else but for now sure. <clears throat> my answer would be um daredevil 26 um uh, which is from volume 3 the mark wade chris samney Paul rivera run um and it's a cover um, I'm not sure if like, you'll be able to share this like for um listeners like is like a link in the show notes whatever but basically mm-hmm. the cover is daredevil and he's um running he's in a, he's in a cityscape and he's running across this washing line and the washing line has various items of like um like laundry hanging off of it that just form the different letters like d a-r e d e v i l to make the title in the page and yeah. it's just like such a great one because like Chris Samney is like a genius but also like um, it's just one of my favourite examples of like one of my favourite trends um in like comics art which is taking a superhero and putting them like in like the landscape of a city like they're just kind of coming integrated into like the larger kind of like infrastructure of an urban landscape spider-man does it a lot like i've seen a few spider-man covers with the same idea where he's like in amongst the skyline and stuff i just love that idea of integrating like you know the fantastic into the everyday this is one of the most potent examples of it that i could remember
0: now yeah it's really really clever um and and i you don't kind of notice it at first but then you kind of see like particularly like the devil yeah um like the, the the last bit of the of the clothing on the washing line there that that kind of looks like devil um, oh yeah he's done it on, he's done that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah clearly i um, know that's really smart um yeah. and yeah no that's and uh of course like so the washing line um is like really well kind of bent cuz Daredevil's devil's kind of running along it yeah of course um, so old, that's that's really in the page. exactly right. yeah
1: and just that run in general is just so good because it's like, because because Daredevil, like you know, has became known as such, like you know, a kind of bleak, dark, um, grim character, and that run was just so effervescent and like you know, fun, but not without its darkness and like character drama. But like you know, it, it had a totally different vibe, to like any other Daredevil of recent years.
0: That's awesome, man! Really cool. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our next question: uh, What is the most meaningful? to you
1: well again that would be a such a that's one of the most difficult questions to answer because like what's the most meaningful to you could be like you know any number of interpretations. Um, You could interpret that as like, you know, like just what's your favourite comic? And again, that's a question that gets asked like, you know, like later on. So I kind of tried to roll that out. But also, it could be like, you know, like I could probably like, you know, be really self regarding and choose like one of my own comics because like, you know, sure. is there any comic that's more meaningful than like, you know, something that you've put your own heart and soul into? Like, I think of like my experience back in 2010 of like carrying a big box of like the standard home from the local printers and open it up and going like, you know, this is a comic with my name on it. Like, that would be a meaningful comic but um i try to like you know i try to kind of think back like you know what's the comic that's had like the biggest impact on like my life and that's not necessarily like my favorite comic or the one that i like most but if i were to choose one it would be probably batman along halloween and because that's so intimately tied into like my comics origin story in certain ways like obviously I'd read comics, like, well before The Long Halloween came out. Um, I remember actually, like, reading Wizard Magazine and reading, like, the preview of The Long Halloween, like, you know, ahead of its release back in, like, 1997. But I never read it at that point. Um, but... As I said earlier on, there was a period when I kind of drifted away from comics, like for a few years. I never went away entirely. I always kind of followed like comic book movies, and um, I'd maybe pick up the occasional comic here and there. But there was a time when like I wasn't like buying. I like, had transitioned out of like my childhood era of like buying comics. When I'd be at Forbidden Planet, like buying action figures, or whatever. Like you know, I'd grab a couple of Spider-Man comics or Marvel books as well. I transitioned out of that period. but I wasn't really regularly buying books anymore, and. Batman Begins, it came out in 2005, um, and I really loved it, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to see if I can go in and I'm going to buy like a Batman graphic novel, like I haven't bought a graphic novel in the longest time, and even when I was buying comics, I wasn't really going to the back catalogue and buying graphic novels, I was just like buying the new stuff in the shelves, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go try and buy like, a book, so I walked into the Forbidden Planet, and I looked around and said, what do I want to buy? I have money to buy like, one book. And the one book they jumped to was this lovely new edition of Batman: The Long Halloween, and I say like, and I picked that book up, and like, it was I was in the summer I picked it up because Batman Begins had just came out, and I read that book, and I was absolutely blown away. All my kind of childhood memories of loving Batman and loving comics came rushing back. And I just loved it. And I think I read, it, I read it to the end. And then I went back and I read the whole thing again. And I thought, I have to have more comics. And then the next time I went to Forbidden Planet, I picked up The Killing Joke and Dark Victory. And then for, like, a long time, I was just buying more and more Batman comics. And then from there, I thought, well, um, I've, I like Batman. What else is there? So I picked up um, some Flash books. And then from there, I picked up... Um, Infinite Crisis was just starting, like at the time of the big right. DC events. So I picked up that, and then from there I was off to the races. I was picking up regular books every week again. I was like buying like monthly comics, and I say that all. And then from there, obviously, I became, from becoming a regular monthly comics reader, that's then the kind of like set the stage for um, like bonding with my friend over our shared love of comics. We'd we'd lend each other comics, and then him like suggesting that I try writing this comic script for him. So. I was like, definitely, you can definitely see like an alternate history where um, I, I never saw Batman Begins or maybe I saw Batman Batman Begins and quite liked it but didn't like it enough to go to the shops and pick up a comic book. Or maybe I went to the shops and Batman Long Halloween was sold out so I never picked up any book. But I definitely think you can see a through line from me picking up Batman the Long Halloween on that day in 2005 and me being where I am now as a comic writer 15 years later. So that's why I chose that as my most meaningful comic
0: that's awesome man um it's it's so good to have like a connection like that to a comic because you can always pick it up and kind of you know just relive those memories a little bit
1: yeah i mean i I pick it up now and i'll go hmm i'm not sure if i like that little scripting detail here and there like you know (laughs) i'll see the flaws more in it now but um, i'm like you know but like as a book no matter like what issues i might have with it like i'll always be fond of it because like i say it's like tied to that kind of like period of my life
0: that's beautiful man uh, now, uh, moving on to our next question: um, What's the most underrated comic that you've read? All
1: right, um, this was one that this is one of my favourite comics to talk about. Actually, um, it's another Scott McCloud um, joint. Scott McLeod obviously did the sculptor that I talked about earlier on, and um, the sculptor was actually like his first work in fi- his, his first work in fiction for maybe over twenty years since he did a book called Zot in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, I think it was ladies actually. I think that's when it started, at least. And the thing I love to see about Zot is this is a superhero comic that was coming out at the, around the same time as Watchmen, at the very least, in the same era as Watchmen, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight Returns, um, all these big books. And I think it's comfortably better than any of them. Um, I genuinely think it is one of the best comics ever made. Um, it is just, and it's such a book that's so ahead of its time. Um, and the premise of Zot is, basically, it is this, um, like, teen, this lonely teen girl who finds a portal into this alternate reality where, um, it's basically, like, into this utopian 1960s, I think it is, um, where, um like wars been eradicated and it's this um like you know sort of like utopian world with like larger than life superheroes and um and like technological advances and sci fi type stuff in it. And like the main hero of this realm is a guy called Zot. Um, who is just kind of like really simplistic, idealistic, equal parts kind of like I think it's a lot. It's a bit like Flash Gordon because he, his stuff's all built on technology, like you know, mm. and um, you, you know, that's how he flies about. But his aesthetics are very like Superman in terms of his costume, you know. Um, but um, it's like the first half of the book, I'd say, is like this super fun episodic adventure, where it's um, like the girls like trapped in like this kind of you know, kind of like utopian world the, the, the professor's trying to find a way for her to get home but in the meantime she has all these little episodic adventures fighting these larger than life you know um villains and it's like and it's just basically a well done superhero comics um like you know like you know it's a pretty straightforward but it's super well done super fun um and like so you're enjoying this reading it along yeah yeah and about halfway through suddenly um the, the professor's like, wow, the portal's working, we can get you back home again. So, um, Zot decides to take her home, but then the portal breaks down again. So Zot finds himself like trapped in like her world, which is just like the real world. And then for the second yeah. half of the book, it's basically just, like, a series, again, of, like, episode stories, but it's just like all, like, little slice-of-life comics following, like, um, the girls' various friends in their daily life. And Zot is, like, this kind of, like, little, like, just, like, this kind of, like, supporting character who's, like, zipping around in the background, like, you know, he's, be- he's been enrolled <laughs> in their class as, like, an exchange student, you know, <laughs> you know? And, like, you know? and, like, he's just kind <laughs> of, like, focus in and out of the stories and all that, but... Um, some of the, the stories are just so human and so emotional, and um, like deal with issues like you know bereavement, uh, sexuality, um, like poverty, um, and it's just like really well done. And, like, and, and then you have like in the, the scene that is filled through like this naive, idealistic hero who lives in a world where there's no, there's no crime, there's no um, war, there's no like poverty and like he like just can't comprehend how like people like react in this world you know and he tries to kind of like Mm um make changes in their lives through small acts of kindness you know and um it's just like and then eventually the last chapter is like um the the portal opens back up again and Zot can go back to his home world and it's going to be like and when they close it it's going to be closed pretty much you know um like forever so like Zot invites like you know the girl all of our friends to spend like you know a day in like zots world and they all just have a great time there's no real conflict it's just a big giant new year's eve party and this like wow. fantastical world and like you know and it's just such like a moving earnest um depiction of like you know a love letter to superheroes and for me like watchmen gets a lot of praise for like you know kind of like sneering at superheroes a little bit and like you know um like you know tearing them apart and breaking them down and showing how flawed they are but like Mm -hmm. you know this kind of feels like it does kind of like highlight some of the shortcomings of superheroes but i think it comes from like a real genuine fondness of like superheroes and fantastical stories and um i just just find it deeply moving and affecting and like it's just such a great comic and it's a classic comic from a classic era which a lot of people, even people who have read most of the canon classics, haven't read or, in some cases, haven't even heard of. And I would couldn't recommend it enough to check it out.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a uh, it's on my right uh, reading list from a uh, from a few weeks back when it also came up in in the most underrated comics. So um, <laughs> it's it's definitely getting uh, getting out there more and more. Uh, yes. So hopefully, yeah, it will it will kind of have a have a revival. I, I really hope so. History,
1: and I'd, seriously, the, the book itself is a great package because each chapter comes with an accompanying essay by Scott McLeod himself, talking about like, oh, no. the process behind oh. making the, the, each issue and what his thought processes were. And he's so hard on himself and all I can think of it is, like, I did this wrong at like this bit, and like I didn't like how I did this. Because Scott McLeod's quite a fascinating character. Obviously, everybody knows him for... Yeah. um Like, he's making comic. comics, understanding comics. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's interesting because... You find a, a lot I tell he talks a lot about his history and himself in these essays. And the thing about Scott McLeod is before he was um a comics creator, he was like a chess prodigy. And mm. um and he became like so obsessed with like thinking about the ultimate move patterns and stuff that he ended up like putting him into unhealthy, like, you know, mental cycles and, like, he became, yeah. you kind know, of, obsessive over it, so, like, you know, he ended up abandoning that and coming up with comics as a, kind of, less stressful alternative, but, you know, but um, <laughs> he ended up adopting some of the same obsessive tendencies towards comics and trying to come up with, like, the mm-hmm. perfect comic and the ultimate, kind of, like, you know, trying to, kind of, mathematically almost figure out, like, you know, the, the, the ultimate, like, you know, utilisation of the comics form. Um, and then, like you said, Zot was kind of his best attempt that he wasn't happy with, so he hadn't abandoned making fiction comics for like 30 years until he did the sculptor, like all, that year, all those years later.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, no, that's that's really fascinating. And I guess uh, bad habits um, die hard. Yeah. Really. Um, <laughs> like, you're going to end up doing that whatever you fall into.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Which is why I can only think that people always say, perfect is the enemy of good. Um, I mean, on one hand, yeah. like, as a creator, I've always said, like, you know, I never want to slum it with any comic. I never want to make a comic just to make it. Like, it just takes too much effort yeah. too much time. So any comic that I make, I want to believe in it enough that I could conceivably imagine it being somebody's favourite comic. Um, mm-hmm. But also, if you don't, if you, you can paralyse yourself as well, if you just think, well, I can't make this until it's perfect or until, like, you know, it's a an amazing... no like flawless comic script i've seen writers who'll just redraft something into oblivion for over the course of years trying to get it just right and then eventually like the look goes off the boil because like it's not them anymore it's kind of it's less you know it's like you know sat like on the vine too long and it became different people like so it's not relevant to them anymore
0: yeah exactly so it's kind of you got to really kind of strike whilst the iron's hot and then when you feel like it's yeah good enough, I mean, have pride in your work and things. But as you said, perfect is the enemy of good. <laughs> so <Absolutely. laughs> it's a great saying. <clears throat> <laughs> now, uh, moving on to the most difficult question, and that is for you: what is the best comic of all time?
1: Funny enough, you should say that because this was actually one of like <laughs> the easiest questions for me to answer. Um, I like, was like when I was trying to think the my answers and stuff. Um, I, I I left a few blank and I went and filled this in first. Um. And because it's a question, it's an answer I always give. There's been a couple of like, um, qu- comics that might have filled this slot. Um, like at one point, you, you can maybe say Sandman was in the run as well. Cause Sandman's mm-hmm. a book that I've loved and revisited a lot over the years. But for me, ultimately, I think like, you know, when I think of like, what my personal best comic of all time is, um, cause you can't see what the objective best is. because everybody's these tastes are different. But for me personally, yeah. the best comic of all time is a book called scalped. um, by Jason Aden and RM Guerra and a variety of other film artists. It was a 60 issue series, which ran through vertical comics um, from 2006 to 2012. Um, at the time, it was a very low seller and kind of went under the radar. But in the years since it's finished, I think it has kind of became, has gotten more noticed and gained more acclaim. Um, I jumped on board um, around issue, maybe 20 something. Um, And I went back and picked up, like, the first five trades. um, And then I read monthly through the rest of the run. And I was just utterly blown away. So much so, actually, that, like, I then went back and picked up all of the 20-something single issues that I hadn't picked up. Um, and i continued buying the trades as well and then when eventually it came out i also got the hardcover deluxe edition so now i have all 60 single issues (laughs) of scalped every single every single one of the 60 issues signed by jason Aaron. um i have all 10 of the trade paperbacks and i have all five of the hardcovers which tells you all you need to know about how much i love this comic
0: that's amazing man um and for, for anybody that hasn't come across it before what's kind of the premise
1: well the premise of Scalped is it is a kind of like noir crime series set on um a Native American reservation in South Dakota. Um I think it's called that. this again would have been something that we can get to research beforehand. I think it's called Pine Lodge, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I looked that up, but whatever the name is, it's like this kind of like, you know, Run down, you know, a Native American um, reservation um, mm-hmm. off of South Dakota, and um, this um, prodigal son, who is the son of an activist, Native American activist, who ran away, is a teen. Um, kind of comes back to town as a kind of deadbeat, you know, washed up, and he ends up and ends up falling under the thrall of this local gangster. Um, called uh, Lincoln Red Crow, um, who, like, runs, like, this big casino project, which is going to be taken off. Is also, like, you know, um, like I say, a gangster and it's, like, a, ties with, like, the underworld, um, both amongst the native community and exterior, outside, um, like, gangland connections. And then by the end of the first issue, you find out this kind of prodigal son, um, whose name is Dashiell Bad Horse, but you find out the Bad Horse actually is working undercover for the FBI, Um and the FBI have sent him in to try and get dig up dirt on both um, Red Crow um, and um, his own mother, who is like uh, again a, a pain and a sort of thorn in the side of um, the government as a kind of like outspoken activist. And that that's the kind of initial premise. Is this kind of like you know, kind of Donny Brasco style, like undercover. Um, Coppin, uh, and Amongst the Gangsters drama. But from there it spins off into being about so much more. There's whole extended arcs where you don't even get to even de- address like the kind of main story, like you know, just kind of like it's about life in this reservation. You start to kind of tell the stories of the various like supporting characters, like their life, like, you know, um who they are, like, you know, the various families, their histories, and then like the whole story like spans back, like a good, like, 50 years or something to, like, back when, like, various characters were, like, young, like, and it's like, an old, never-solved murder mystery um, that they're going to get brought back up, and it's just such an epic, massive story that it has, so, still, to this day, has some of the best characterization. Um, that I've seen in any comic ever in terms of like people's interior life and their inner monologue and the the dramas and the tragedies that they're facing. Um, it's just such a fantastic, well realized comic. Um, that I just absolutely love.
0: Fantastic. And, and do you think that's the main reason that you think it's the best comic of all time?
1: Yeah, like for me, like, as I say, like I can't, like, I don't think anybody can answer what like the objective best is. You can only really answer like what's the comic that you love the most. And for me, I'd Precisely. say. That's the one of them, because it's just that it's the perfect marriage of everything. It's basically like, as I say, Jason Aaron, like doing fantastic characterization, you know, and dialogue. And then like Arian Guerra's visuals are just like stunning. And it's like he, he realizes this place. It feels like a real place. You can tell its geography. Um and like and it feels like a character in itself. But then also, I think perhaps more than any other comic I've read like it really utilises like the serialized nature of comics in terms of like seeding in stuff which then like has long term payoff like you know months or even years down the line like either it's like a really horrible character who are just waiting to get their comeuppance and they, kind of, they withhold it, withhold it, withhold it and they finally get it or it's like you know certain like you know Chekhov's guns like who's going to find out Bad Horse's secret which are laced in and finally pay off down the line or you know or like you know, like I say, the main story, which is bubbling away with all the subplots going on until the A story finally comes back into play or how minor supporting characters like Shunka, who's um, uh, you know, Red Crow's like, henchman, who's, like, this minor incidental character in the early issues, who by virtue of, like, lingering around for several years becomes this, like, really tragic, you know, developed figure in his own right, in a way, like, you know, the only comics and TV can only do in terms of, like, you know, long-term serialized mediums. Um, and I, and I just think it's such a fantastic comic, and you can see its impact on me, like, Sync one of the major influences in Sync is Scalp, because, like, I read Scalped and thought, wouldn't it be great to, like, as much as this story tells, like, the, the story of like, that particular place it makes it feel real in terms of, like, this, you know reservation, like wouldn't it be cool to do a comic like that that makes a place in Glasgow feel that real and feel that realised, mm. which is why like, you know, like you know, like part of what kind of went into the cocktail of Forman Sink Hill.
0: That's cool, man. Um it's great to kind of have that um inspiration to kind of um springboard off of. Yeah, just like
1: mm. I say it's a comic I'll always love and um I always feel like I want to go back and read it again.
0: too right um having said that um if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be
1: this was actually quite a difficult question because um i was trying to think i was trying to be like um like honest about it like it would be easy to say oh i choose like this ish this series that had like a hundred issue runs so i can bring like my 10 trades with me whatever but i tried to be really strict and think like okay i can only bring literally like one book um you know rather than like you know one run that covers multiple books so i decided to choose all-star superman um probably if i was to choose like any version of it would be my like you know absolute edition which is a nice oversized hardcover um get the most out of like if i can only have the one book and for Hmm. me like i chose that for a few reasons like one um because like i say it's a single book um but also um it's like, one, the artwork is stunning. Like, even if I was... I felt like, you know, obviously, like, you're, you're in an apocalypse. You might not feel like sitting and reading every day. Maybe you just want to look at some pretty pictures. And Frank Quietly's artwork, even the move and the story, is, like, a, looking at, like, you know, canvases of, you know, stunning um, artwork on their own. Um... And then like the story itself, which is like super optimistic and about the power of like you know heroism and like you know how like you know like superheroes can like you know have an impact in the real world and how like you know everybody has the potential like you know to be good and like be the best versions of themselves and it's the kind of message that maybe I would like to hear as the world's ending.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um and I suppose it helps that it's it's basically a Scottish comic.
1: Yeah. Um Grant Morrison, <laughs> um Jamie Grant, Frank Whiteley are all Scottish.
0: Yeah, exactly uh, so I'm sure that goes a long way but no it's a, it's a fantastic story it's a good one to take into the apocalypse to give you a little bit of hope I suppose
1: yeah what you will
0: need <laughs> definitely uh, now um, our last question is what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you as well
1: again this was a difficult question because I think as I've previously established um, like I don't think I could bring anything useful Like I have no technical skills to hack any robots i don't think there's any like you know use in me bringing like a computer or a motherboard or some kind of whatever like khaki equipment to and like and i don't think it would be any use bringing like what am i going to bring like you know an axe and a hammer or a hatchet or something like that like you know, i'll take like one swing at a robot and it bounces off the metal exterior then they just like crush my skull like and it feels kind of like pointless at the end of the day like why i bring a weapon that's just going to be like a futile um display of um like empty rebellion. So I then started thinking like, you know, well if I'm not going to bring anything then it's going to be useful in like combating the robots, like what do I want to bring from like the real world just going to make like what time I have and like you know my um what was it, Island off an island jogey retreat. um More um happy and more like bearable. So I thought about this a little bit. What what could I bring if I could bring any item? And I decided that I'm going to bring um a Spider-Man costume from last Halloween. And my reason for that is that I spent quite a lot of money on it and I've only got to wear it once. So I figure, like, you know, I'll get get my money's worth and I'll just, you know, like, get some more uses out of it. (laughs) You know, while I'm, like, living in, like, in this post-apocalyptic landscape. And I also thought it'd be quite, you know, fun to be, like, you know, when the robots finally do show up and, like, you know, and they kind of, like, tear my yoga camp apart, and they take me down with, like, you know, a couple of laser blasts, then maybe, like, a little while later, when somebody else is, like, navigating, like, you know, this world, and they'll look and they'll see, like, you know, my dead body with the laser holes, and they'll go, oh, look, that's Spider-Man, that's interesting, but he had a fun story to tell. (laughs) Definitely.
0: That's amazing, man! I love that. Just k- commitment to to your death. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to make people uh, feel as though he's got an interesting story. This yeah. guy. Yeah, I mean, probably I didn't
1: have an interest, so I probably just spent like most of my time like sitting, um, like crying quietly, and you know, with my dog. But. Um... Like, but now people will maybe imagine like a story like you know where maybe i was like an inspirational leader um it was like i know kind of, like a figurehead or something like that they can make up their own story but much like right. all-star superman it shows how superheroes can inspire people in the real world
0: absolutely john that's fantastic well john lees thank you so much for sharing your comics with the apocalypse today it's been a real pleasure
1: thank you very much for having me i'm sorry it was like I, once i get going talking about the comics i love i know i kind of rattle off like 10 times to the dozen and I'm sorry if I didn't give you too much of a look in some of the points that like, you know I felt like oh, I was looking at you rather than talking to you but like once <laughs> no, I get
0: that's, that's the idea I'm just here to ask questions and listen <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good um, and for the listeners one more time where can they uh, find you online?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter um, Twitter.com forward slash John Lee's 927. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Instagram Instagram.com forward slash John Lee's, which is like uh, mostly pictures of my dog and pictures of my Halloween parties. um, uh, Or you can um, go to on Facebook. You can find the page for sync um, at Facebook.com forward slash a sync tale. All one word. um, And that'll get you the latest developments on like sync and what's happening there. Um, or you can find me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash John Lees. Or finally, you can sign up to my newsletter. Please do that. I love when people sign up to my newsletter. I get some mm-hmm. validation at deepender.johnleescomics.com. That's deep-ender.johnleescomics.com.
0: Fantastic. And again, those links are in the show notes. And uh, hopefully our paths will cross at a Comic-Con when they get back going again.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to like, see people again?
0: that'd be good i'd be up for that <laughs> I'll, be, I'll
1: be watching to make sure i don't see any robotic red glint in your eye um you oh know.
0: yeah yeah exactly I could this could all be a ruse to, <laughs> to actually stage an apocalypse you yeah. never know
1: this interview has actually just been downloading my brain to put into the matrix
0: um, <laughs> oh damn you've you've scuppered my plan um <laughs> but, uh, no john thanks again for your time today it's been a real pleasure it's just been great chatting with you well,
1: thank you very much for having me i love your show so it was great to be on it at last
0: Thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. You take care, mate. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to John for being on Comics for the Apocalypse today. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out John's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links. to the various areas of the internet speaking of which if you haven't already be sure to visit comic scene magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff and finally as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week i'll see you next monday take care stay safe and bye for now